You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Okay, let me say to the children first, next week I'll, I didn't, I'll have sheets for you to help you um, with the service. Uh, when I used to go to church, I used to find this part of the service the most boring bit. Uh, that's when the minister stood up to speak, and I would try not to listen. Um, I'm, I'm asking you, well, no, listen to what's said. Every now and then I may say something, and you might think, oh, I don't understand that. Well, that's why you've got mums and dads. Ask them at home, or please feel free to ask me uh, afterwards at the end if you say, well, what do you mean by that? Um, because I actually find the questions that children ask the most difficult of all, because you're the people here with the smartest brains. So, We're going to look at this song, Psalm 49. Um, We're going to look at the whole of the psalm. And you see I put a title up on the screen there, A Life Worth Living and a Death Worth Dying. Uh, Let's look at the first bit first. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The utterance from my heart will give understanding. I'll turn my ear to a proverb. With the harp I will expound my riddle. You know what a riddle is. It's a a question or a a lyric or something, a limerick, in which you ask, well, what does that mean? And how does it work? Well, for some people, life is like that. Life is a big, big question. And it's the biggest question that you and I ever face. What is life about? What happens to me when I die? In in verse 5 of this psalm, why should I fear when evil days come? How am I going to cope Well, the psalmist answers this question with uh, a song. He says, I'll take my harp. So if I can borrow one of these guitars, I will sing my sermon to you. (laughs) Honestly, if I could, I would. But I can't, and you wouldn't stay very long. It is actually one of the most powerful things about music, is it communicates things. It's very, very important uh, that God has designed us in this way. And songs do tell us stories. And again, let me say to the children, the songs you listen to, it's actually, oh, that's a really good tune, and it may well be, but what's the story that it's telling you? What's the message that it's giving? Well, in this song, the message is to comfort God's people. You'll notice also that he says we are to listen before we speak. He says, I will listen to a parable. I will listen to what God has to say. We are to listen to the word of God. And there are some of you here who, in your attitude, and in your heart, and in your mind, you're saying, no, no, why should I bother? I don't need to listen to God's word. I want God to listen to me. Well, you are very, very foolish if that is the case. If God is speaking to you, you need to listen. And right now, there are 101 different things that will distract you from hearing God's word. And I'm asking you just simply focus on it. Listen to what God is saying. You're not here to listen to my word, but to the word of God. What I say should be from the word of God. If it's not, throw it out the window. But you'll notice also that this word is for everyone. It's for all peoples, low and high, rich and poor. It's for young and old. It is for every single person here. It's also 
something, in this passage, it's something that is very different from what we're told in our culture. Do any of the girls here belong to the guides? Anyone, any of the ladies? Anyone ever gone to guides? Yes, a guide. Any other guides? Come on, there's going to be more guides. There's about half of all girls go to guides at some point. Thank you. Um, boys can go to guides now and buy as well. A- a- anyone go to scouts or boys brigade? Anyone do anything like that? Any of you take the promises? You know, the, the brownie promise? Anyone do the brownie promise? Yes, one. See, the rest of you, you've forgotten it. Here's, here's the brownie promise. I promise that I will do my best, or the guide promised, to love my God, to serve the queen in my country, to help other people, and to keep the brownie stroke guide law. At least that was it until a couple of weeks ago. This is the new one. I promise that I will do my best to be true to myself and develop my beliefs, to serve the queen in my community, to help other people, and to keep the brownie guide law. I I don't know of anything that says how much our country has changed more than that. To be true to myself rather than to love my God, to be true to myself and develop my beliefs. We are an incredibly self-obsessed and self-reliant people. And this song just kicks that one completely out. So here is the key question. What are you living for? What should you live for? What gives you hope? What causes you to despair? Let's go through some of the things in the psalm. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that wise men die. The foolish and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. But man, despite his riches, does not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. What do you live for? Uh, again, let me ask any of the children. Any of you got a bike? Who's, who's got a bike that they can cycle? Can you go a bike? Great. Can you cycle your bike? Yeah. No, not yet. Okay. Got a bike. Josco, you got a bike, yeah? Lucas, you got a bike? Good. I've got a bike, and I usually go off my bike. Joseph, you got a bike. I come out every day, and sometimes I meet the kids in my street, some of my neighbors. And there's always one boy, he'll always come up if he sees me, and he'll say, how much did your bike cost? And when I tell him, more than yours, he, he, he gets quite upset. And I, he, I imagine he goes into his mum and dad, get me a new bike, get me a new bike. He's always asking, how much does it cost? How much does it cost? How much does it cost? And that's quite sad because what he's doing is he's reflecting uh, an attitude is, if, if you can able to buy things that are expensive, then somehow that's better. You're more important. The psalmist here is oppressed and depressed at the power of the wealthy. They're able to threaten others. But as he thinks about it, he says that wealth cannot buy certain things, especially it cannot buy a life. Human beings are not for sale. That's what's so wrong with slavery or prostitution. Death marks the point where human money has no value. The beggar in the street lying in the mortuary is exactly the same as the multi-billionaire 
lying in the mortuary. All are alike, he says, verse 10 and 11. Wise and foolish die. In fact, he's pretty brutal here because he says the only thing your money will ultimately get you is a bigger tomb. What does it profit a man, says Jesus, to gain the whole world and lose his soul? In, back in verse 6, you'll see there, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches. It's a very simple question for you. What do you trust in? Where, where do you place your hope? Where do you place your faith? You can rely on yourself. You can rely on your money. And that is insane because you weigh all your gold and all your money and all yourself in the scales of death and you lose every time. He says, when I think about this, there are the foolish because we see, all can see, that the wise and the foolish die. Now, who are the foolish people in this? I think the foolish people in this psalm are people who say when evil days come or when there's bad stuff happening, this is how I cope, I'll have a laugh. They're people who have a light-hearted attitude towards life and its obligations. They're people who say, it doesn't matter what you do, never be serious really about anything. Just have a laugh, that's the whole point. You work and you don't like your work, have a laugh at the weekend. Have a laugh about everything, be amused about everything. I can see that all men die, says the fool, but I will live as if I'm not going to. It is self-centeredness that never looks beyond immediate short-term advantage. And let me say, this is not a dig just at those who are not Christians. It's a dig at those of us who profess to be Christians, and yet the things that really upset us are the things that are for today only. That's all that we're concerned about, what we can get, what we can grab. Self-centered, insensitive to spiritual realities. We are different to the animals in that we build tombs. Why? Why? Why do we build tombs to ourselves? A foolishness that leads to arrogance. Look at verse 11. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. Uh, My name is, well, any of the children know what my name is? My full name. Well, my first name and my last name. Most of you know it's David. Do you know what my second name is? Andrew, correct. Oh, that's good. You know, what my, you know what my third name is then? David, Andrew. Robertson, that's right. David Robertson is what most people call me. Do you know that in Dundee, I found this. I was walking along a street and I found a street called David Robertson Street. And number one David Robertson Street was for sale. And I so wanted to buy it. <laughs> You know, imagine having a street named after you. It's wonderful, isn't it? You're going to have a street. I mean, there, there's a, a, a city in Vietnam named, named after Ho Chi Minh, Ho Chi Minh City. Imagine you think, wouldn't it be fantastic if when I died, the whole of Dundee changed its name? So it became Lucasville, or uh, I don't know, it became Cameronville, or I don't, you, you know, I mean, wouldn't that be fantastic if, 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 if they did that? But you're dead. And it doesn't really make any difference at all. He says, we're like sheep. We're destined for the grave. Let's go on with this. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and all their followers who approve their sayings. Like sheep, they are destined for the grave and death will feed on them. The upright will rule over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. Selah. 
He's saying death is a greedy monster swallowing whatever it can. You go back to Adam. You go back to the earth. Your home is the pit. The cavern, if you like, is open. The light comes in. You're buried and that's it. You never see the light again. And the way that he describes death here, it's not just the body. He's saying the whole person loses vitality and liveliness. That it's Sheol. It's the place of the dead. It's a release from activity and business, but it's a land of gloom and of darkness. And the language he uses says this, death comes along and takes you and grabs you by the throat and takes you down. And that's where you stay. And it doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are, all of us are aware or should be aware that that's what happens to us. Is it a life? Have we got a life worth living knowing that we're going to die? You haven't got a life worth living if you are not prepared for death. You are a fool if you live for today or if you live only for tomorrow and do not think about the fact that at some point you will be gone from this earth. And that's why he goes on to say, God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. He's saying that there are destinies beyond the grave. He's saying that we are more than sheep. I grew up on a farm. We had pet lambs. I confess, sometimes we ate those lambs. We maybe weren't very good uh, with the pets. But I had a pet rabbit. I had a pet guinea pig. And it's very, very sad when my pet rabbit died. But I would take the rabbit away and we would bury it. But that's it. The rabbit's not coming back. When a human being dies... That's not it. You're not a rabbit and you're not a sheep. You live on afterwards. There is a place, Sheol, the place of the dead. There is more to come. There is heaven and hell. Jesus talks about that. In uh, Les Miserables, which is just such a great thing, um, there's a song sung by Fontaine. Most, many people here probably know it just through Susan Boyle. But it's a, it's a very powerful, very, very powerful song. I just want to read part of it. And again, if I could, I would sing it. But I'm not. I'm not Elaine Page or Susan Boyle, so I won't. There was a time when love was blind, and the world was a song, and the song was exciting. There was a time, then it all went wrong. I dreamed a dream in time gone by, when hope was high and life worth living. I dreamed that love would never die. I dreamed that God would be forgiving. Then I was young and unafraid, and dreams were made and used and wasted. There was no ransom to be paid, no song unsung, no wine untasted. But the tigers come at night with their voices soft as thunder as they tear your hope apart, as they turn your dream to shame. And still I dream he'll come to me, that we will live the years together. But there are dreams that cannot be, and there are storms we cannot weather. I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living in, so different now from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. And there are some of you, you know that. That's what you feel. You feel you had dreams, and some of you have dreams, and it will turn into this hell. And I think that we ask, who is going to redeem us from this? Who is going to save us from that? And when we die and we go to the grave and that's it, 
Who is going to save us from the actual hell? Who is going to save us from the world beyond where there is nothing good, where there is no sunshine, where there is nothing worth living for? And the answer is surely only God. Let me just go on to that. Do not be overawed when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases. For he will take nothing with him when he dies. His splendor will not descend with him. Though while he lived, he counted himself blessed. And men praise you when you prosper. He will join the generation of his fathers, which will never see the light of life. A man who has riches without understanding is like the beasts who perish. No one can redeem the life of another. Go back to verse 7. It says that. I don't know what you think you're worth. I don't know if you're, if you're a child, if someone came to buy you. If I came up, Joseph, if I came and said to your mum and dad, can I buy Joseph? I wonder what, how much money they would ask for. You're looking and thinking, yeah. You, you know this, Joseph, you're priceless. You're absolutely pri- You can't be bought. Supposing I had millions and millions. Your mum and dad are never, ever going to say, sure, have him. Because you're worth far more than that. Sadly, we live in a culture which in theory says that, but in practice puts a price on absolutely everything. We have to pay certain people lots of money because we say they are worth it. There's a price that we think people are worth. The trouble is, in terms of the value of you as a human being, no one can pay what you're worth. The Hebrew here says, even a brother, no amount of human love can prevent you from dying. Who can pay? Only God. And that really is the astonishing thing. This world will tell you that you are only as valuable as other people think you are or what people are prepared to pay for you. The Bible tells you that you are so valuable that nobody, nobody can redeem you except Jesus Christ. And that's the astonishing thing. That's the amazing thing. Because the the, the psalm talks about that. It talks about who is going to redeem. And I would suggest that this redemption, this from God, carries this idea of the presence of God. He will take me, he says, to himself. God will redeem my life. Let's go back to verse 15. God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. Revelation 7 is absolutely wonderful. It says this about those who are in heaven. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over him. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When you are next at a funeral or you next experience death and the person who has died is a believer in Jesus, you look at them and you weep. And you weep for yourself and you weep for their relatives but you do not weep for them because you look at them and you say, never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst, the sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. It's why when we're praying for people who have cancer and who are dying, and all of us are dying, that the most important thing we can ever pray is not that they be healed from the cancer, because they're still going to die, but that when they die, of whatever reason, 
that they know Jesus and that they will be able to go to be with him, to be in his presence. It's the opposite of Sheol. There's rest, there's vitality. The grave tells us of darkness and gloom, of fading away and of separation. Ultimately hell. Heaven tells us of life way beyond what we can even know here. Life that is more abundant. God will redeem my life from the grave. The New Testament tells us, not a lot, but it tells us enough to know that there is so much more to look forward to after death. So we don't need to be afraid. Now let me apply this in several ways. First of all, don't get too worked up about life's inequalities. Might is not right. Money does not talk. Philosophy is only a mind game. It has no answer in the face of death. Foolishness is meaninglessness as well. When people say, I don't care, I'm just going to enjoy life. They are be- it's, it's what we call bravado. They're being fools. I'm going to be with my mates in hell. Such stupidity. Jeremiah 9, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Now please take this seriously. Whoever you are, whatever position you think you're in, what would you do for money? How hard are you working? You're a Christian and you say, oh, my heart is with Jesus. But all your energy and time and effort is poured into getting stuff. I mean, we learn stuff in school. But getting stuff, is that what you're living for? Your stuff is going to be left behind. How worried are you? How excited are you about stuff? What is the stuff that's that's going on in your head at the moment? In which you're saying, oh, I'm worried about this financial thing, or I'm worried about this uh, relationship thing, and, I'm worried about, and, and you don't care two hoots about what happens to you when you die. The only thing that you're concerned is that you're able to live right now so that you can enjoy right now. There are things that are just not for sale. Dreadful film, indecent proposal. Totally dreadful. Um, but I do know a little bit about it, and I, I watched the clip of it and just thought, forget it, I'm not watching this. But in it, in it, some of you will have seen it, Demi Moore says that some things are not for sale. You cannot buy people. And Robert Redford, of course, the billionaire, says, yeah, I can. I can buy you. And he says to her husband, how much? If I give you a million dollars to sleep with your wife for one night, why are you waiting the balance? One night, million dollars? Why not? Money can't buy you life. Money can't buy you love. And you cannot serve both God and mammon or God and money. So if your concern right now as a Christian is with all the bills and everything else and all the things that you want to buy and you're not able to buy and so on, you actually need to stop and you need to repent before God. And you need to say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Why am I so freaked out and so worried about all this stuff when I have you? Because verse 20 says we are to live with understanding. A man who has riches without understanding is like the beasts that perish. You can live and die like a beast without understanding, or you can die with understanding. It is not wealth or gifts or brains that keeps you from God and heaven. It is your deliberate lack of understanding. Calvin says this, For surely it is the very height of folly in any man for a mere momentary happiness, a very dream, 
to abdicate the crown of heaven and renounce his hopes for eternity. If you're the kind of person who says, do you know, I really, really want this, so I'm going to go for this for this night or this week or this year, and as for God, forget it, I'm going to wait, or that'll sort out later. You're in so much trouble. That is just living like an idiot. In fact, the beasts are more intelligent than that. Murdoch Campbell, speaking about this psalm, says this, Our deepest folly and the greatest harm we can inflict on our own beings is to let God's goodness and God himself pass us by unsought, despised, and ignored. Don't trust in yourself. Don't try and build up your self-esteem. God is walking by. God is talking to you. God is pleading with you. And you're going, no. I'm not seeking. I don't want that. I'm ignoring it. Seek your redemption from God. There are many, many things in life that totally, that that burden and hassle and stress me. Uh, So many, many different things. There is nothing that burns me more than the fact that there are people here this morning who could end up dying, going into a grave, and spending eternity in darkness and lostness and pain. When you've been offered God. And I pray, Lord, please don't let me or any other Christian get in the way. Please let people see Jesus. Please let people see the absolute stupidity and foolishness of serving things that are just going to disappear. Please let people see that Being obsessed with themselves is the ultimate way to lose their souls, to lose themselves. Please grant that all of us would just say, Lord, I'm yours. I accept. I accept what you have done. Please enable them to follow you. That's my prayer. May God grant it would be true. Let's sing uh, Psalm 23. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.